0: shirt front mr putin i tell you what any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up the day is a bum because i want to do you
1: slowly if you don't vote for the liberal national parties then anthony albanese will be the prime minister of australia welcome to edge of the election the edge of the crowds politics (laughs) podcast i'm your host jackie and tonight as always i'm just joined by joel so how are you this evening
0: uh I am well. yep, just uh just the to two of us once again. Rory has uh has, has left us for the dogs. Uh so <laughs> I yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, well. I think I think went all right last time. Uh so I don't know, should be good.
1: Now, now. He's, he's got other priorities. A cricket podcast.
0: So, <laughs> yes, I mean, yeah.
1: if, you, if you've been missing Rory lately, just listen to him on the top edge. It's pretty good. Um, we might just get straight into it with the Australia drama, I guess, um, because all three uh, major parties have been acting up, being a bit silly this week, whilst also putting forth some good things. And we're going to start with the Greens, which is... Let's be real, our usual punching bag when we're not punching at the Liberals. Uh, And we're going to start with some positive news from the Greens because the legislation regarding uh, legalization of cannabis is actually starting to look a lot more serious. In particular, they are now putting forward like serious proposal that it will be taxed at the same rate as alcohol, which I think is actually really smart in true respects in the sense of... You make a lot of money taxing cannabis that way. The same way you make a lot of money taxing alcohol that way. But you can also have the narrative that, hey, alcohol's legal. It's less deadly than alcohol. Like it has far less of health effects than alcohol does negatively. So why not? Like you can use it as a secondary piece of propaganda as to why it's you should be legalizing it.
0: Uh, yeah, so this is from the Victorian Greens, I believe, and it's it looks like pretty serious. They're bringing a plan to the uh, the Parliamentary Budget Office, um, looking for legalising weed only for anyone above eighteen, and like Jackie said, taxing it at a rate over thirty percent, I believe. Um, so it looks, you know, looks looks pretty good to me. It looks pretty legit. Um, obviously, uh, cannabis should be legalized. I, I don't think that would be a controversial statement on this podcast or for any of our listeners. Uh, there's yeah, there's not really any good reason to have it illegal. Um, uh, and if we can uh, if we can be turning this into a product uh, that we're taxing and making money off of, just like alcohol, um, then I, I see no reason why we shouldn't really. Um, and I think uh, also this is playing into. Uh, a general plan from uh, the Greens across the country because the federal Greens, uh, I believe, are planning to introduce a private mem- member's bill next year to uh, you know, to legalise cannabis. Um, so, look, yeah, I'll, I'll fit in the room. Uh, will, it, will, will these things pass? Um, and I think there's good reason to be sceptical of that. Uh, I, I can't help but think back to New Zealand when they had their referendum on this back in... Uh, back in i think it was last year um and it failed um it failed by like a decent margin as well if i recall um so look i feel like if new zealand can't do it i'm not sure if we can really uh maybe victoria stands a chance but as a as a country in terms of this like federal bill i don't think there's much of a chance um and even with victoria we kind of have to see because there is a real uh conservative undercurrent to victoria sometimes and we have to sort of Suss out whether that would rear its head or not.
1: I think you underestimate the power of ASAs, especially especially voting age Eches. Um They'll they'll make a strong push, um, but also I think with this, it's this isn't about getting this bill passed in six months or even in two years. This I think ends up being the Greens putting forward a historical project where they're going to have their names as the originators of a couple of really good bills it will end up being the legalisation of cannabis, probably a lot more drug-related legislation in helping people rather than just locking people up, um, as well as other environmental legislation that they're trying to push on, which historically does matter as a party if you want to be taken seriously as a future serious major party. Uh, because the, we all know the Greens don't act particularly serious all the time, but this is something where it's like, okay, you've got a plan for 10 years down the line. It's not just a plan for pissing off Labor and the Liberals for six months.
0: Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I'm the person on the, pod- on the podcast who normally offer the uh, the half-hearted defence of the Greens. Uh, I'm happy to be a bit, uh, a bit stronger in, in my defence of the Greens here, of course, for something like this. Um, where of course like definitely a good idea um and definitely um, definitely the sort of thing like you you want a greens party pushing for you know uh, I think it, it's at the intersection of a lot of like really important uh, like gr- uh, green political uh, beliefs in terms of you know um, like social progressivism criminal justice uh like civil libertarianism all these sorts of things so like yeah I think it, it is good. Uh, and despite, you know, maybe the connotations of weed, I think it's good, like, serious policy as well for the most part.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, weed in a lot of ways, it's smoking weed, not legal at all currently, but there are different medicinal uses for cannabis that are legal in this country already. It's basically just going to be an expansion of legalisation if it uh, is legalised to use it for recreational uses. Um, Because, like, if you want to be naive about it, yeah, it's totally banned everywhere, but it's not. And, I mean, Canberra will tell you that it's really not banned. But ultimately, I just think that this is, like, good, smart legislation from the Vic Greens. Um, People like Fiona Patton with the Reason Party will get on board with legislation like this, and you can build a powerful crossbench if the independents aren't wet blankets on an issue like this. Um, if the Teal independents that eventually end up getting in because there's a good chance in the Vic Parliament that that's going to happen this year, look, they could destroy this completely in a heartbeat. But at the same time, if there is a solid crossbench on this, Labor will be more inclined to be brought on board um, than just nixing it if it's the Greens and the Reason Party.
0: Yeah. The, the obviously, the thing to worry about is the, uh, I guess we call it maybe, a general... Authoritarian trend within the Victorian Labor Party, uh, not in the sense of the lockdowns as such, as, as many people would say, uh, but the Victorian Labor um, are you know, have been uh, fervent in their construction of uh, various police state institutions in Victoria, in terms of like lots of unnecessary funding to the police and to prisons and all these things, um, and I think uh, we shouldn't underestimate that undercurrent, uh, that undercurrent within uh, Victorian Labor either. Um, Because it could very well play out here as well, and in fact, it has played out like that in the past uh, with Dan Andrews uh, and Victorian Labor taking pretty, uh, pretty firm stand on weed. um, The the times they've been questioned on it, so we'd have to wait and see if they will, uh, if they will give any ground on that. Um, And yeah, if it's popular, they will. Is is probably the thing. Yeah,
1: (laughs) and that's the thing is if it if it swings votes, it's gonna hurt Labor um, because. people will vote against, like, people won't vote for Labor because they'll think Labor's behind it and will vote for the Liberals. And then at the same time, people that are pro it will vote against Labor because Labor's not for it. So it's all about the propaganda machine in that one. Um, but back on our usual, like, kind of dunking on the Greens a little bit, um, the Federal Greens this time uh, have decided to take the controversial uh, route of threatening to block the Housing Australia Future Fund, which if you don't know what that is, it is a $10 billion plan from Labor to build about 30,000 new social and affordable housing properties in the the first five years of the fund. Um, That isn't to say that like the Greens are just threatening to block it to be mean. It's to do with capping rent prices um, and just blocking rent raises at the moment. At the same time, 30,000 social and affordable houses is going to do a lot for 30,000 families and individuals. So, like, pick and choose your battles, Greens.
0: Yeah, so Housing Australia Future Fund, I quite like it. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's not just uh, building houses. It's, uh, it's, set, it's setting in place uh, a social wealth fund uh, that will go towards building the houses. So I think, uh, you know, so investing across the economy, uh, with the ten billion, so you know, to get returns that we can then to put towards housing, it's a definitely like a good uh, start for a policy, I would say. Um, but of course, and I, I did write this at the time during the election um, that, that yeah, we, we need five hundred thousand houses, um, and thirty thousand is not enough. And to be, to be fair, I think to defend the Greens a little bit, um, I think this is somewhere where the Greens could step up and like really uh, insert themselves into the conversation and into the um, into like legislative decision making, um, where I would say housing is one of the you know, one of the foremost issues in Australia, um, and it should be something that a progressive party is easily targeting and trying to get uh, proper action on. Um, with that said I'm not you know I can't say I'm particularly pleased with how the things are turning out so far um, so this is largely coming from Max Chandler Matha um, who is a greens um, a greens uh, MP in the lower house um, he won Brisbane last election won a really good camp right uh, ran a really good campaign there uh, real, real grassroots real like mobilizing the community um, but I think, yeah, you know, I quite respect the guy. Um, and uh, funnily enough, uh, some of my friends went to high school with him. So there you go. Um, yeah, so I quite respect the guy. I quite like the guy. Um, I'm not sure if this is the way to go necessarily, though, because what he's calling for um, is, I believe, for a two-year rent freeze. Um, and that's the condition on which they will pass the Housing Australia Future Fund. Um, I'm not sure if, a, if the rent freeze is the policy to push on there. Um uh, for sort of, you know, I think for both political and economic reasons. Uh, political, uh, Politically speaking, um, I'm not sure if that's the sort of thing that would be uh, approved of by, like, key electorates. I'm happy to be proven wrong there. Um, but I just, yeah, I'm not sure if, like, people would vibe with that kind of rent control. Um, and then economically, um, you yeah, know, there's... There's a bit of a thing against rent control amongst economists. Um, it, yeah, it could be down to dogma a little bit. But with that said, I'm not sure if we should. Um, if the grain should be pushing for uh, policy that um, you yeah, know that isn't that doesn't have like a strong evidence base for it as such. Um, especially when it is such a band-aid policy, like you know, rent rent control, it doesn't fix the housing market. Um, it's going to make it more difficult for new people to get into renting. And it will probably help people who are currently renting now, of course. Uh, but if you're in it, if if you're trying to like get an apartment, um, we, I think we have good reason to believe that rent control does um, you know, potentially reduce the supply of, uh, of rental housing. Um, so it could, and especially if you're doing it long term, so like two years as well, it's a bit, there's some issues there. Um so I I would far prefer if the Greens had uh pushed for something in another area. Um yeah maybe pushing for uh more funding to the Housing Australia Future Fund perhaps that could I think that could be good. Uh there's room for some level of bipartisanship there I feel. Um in a way that that you know I would like yeah this just feels like I don't know it feels a bit tantrum for me you know it's like we want we want rent rent a rent freeze or nothing. And it's like there's other you know there's there's more pertinent more popular stuff you could probably be pushing for here that isn't um, this real um, you know this it's relatively extreme uh, two year rent freeze.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot to say. Like Chandler Matha is um, the Greens. Uh, like sorry, I'm gonna start this again. Um, To Chandler Mathis' credit, his portfolio items are housing and homelessness. So from the Greens, he is the person that should be speaking up in this way. Um, I just think it's bad policy that he's proposing. I think that there are better policies to be proposing, in particular, forcing landlords to rent out their houses that have been empty for too long, um, rather than just doing a two-year rent freeze. I think that there is measures for rent control in particular, capping how much you can raise rent because they can raise rent way too much, way too quickly currently. But freezing rent for two years isn't going to do much of anything aside from cause a reduction in housing available. Additionally, we've talked quite a fair bit on this pod that social housing is a good thing and more social housing and government organization housing in this country is good. Like government housing isn't just commission homes. Like some people will lend you to believe. It's for people that need it, ultimately. Um, and I just think that the Greens are so short-sighted on this. In particular, having someone that ousted a very popular Labor candidate because Labor didn't take that seat seriously enough, um, like, you need to be more likable. He's not particularly likable. He comes across quite, dare I say it, weaselly at times. Um, And when you do stuff that is going to piss off your own electorate because there are a fair bit of landlords in Brisbane, what is your 10-year plan as the Greens? Like, shouldn't you be wanting to win more seats in Brisbane with realistic plans um, and not plans that are just going to make people angry and get attention for the wrong reasons? Um, I don't know. I just think that the approach towards housing – from the Greens, while it has merit, it's short-sighted and it doesn't really fix the problem because it's a lot more than a bullet wound at this point in housing in Australia. But like the band-aids they're using are like the cheap ones that you get from Woolies that are basically home brand. Like it's just your plan isn't ever going to go through. Start changing your plan because you could have some really good ones. <laughs>
0: Well, what I like about the Housing Australia Future Fund is it's not enough, but it's a good start and it's a good framework to operate in, where you set up this uh, this social wealth fund uh, to go towards housing, um, and like yeah, that that's yeah, that, that, that's that's pretty good, right? We see social wealth funds working very very well in other countries across the world. Um, I like that. Um, and it is a bit disappointing to me that you know that the Greens would. Um, I guess we would like reject that in favor of going in sort of a complete opposite direction. Not to say that rather uh, that the, the Greens should not be advocating for renters and renters' rights because they should be. Um, but it's I, I just uh, two year rent freeze. I'm just I, I don't I don't see it as like the way, as like the way to support renters right now. You know, um, not for you know not politically or economically. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Just disappointing. <laughs>
1: they're just they're making a whole lot of noise for something they're still going to vote on like they're going to vote in favor of this policy i don't see any realm where they don't vote in favor of this policy with or without the two-year rent freeze it's idiotic on their part to do it because labor's just going to keep doing to them what they've done since 2009 and just say yeah, see this policy that didn't get through the supposedly left wing Greens that always seem to side with the Liberals voted against like the good left wing policy that we have. And it also just pushes Labor further towards like picking up more conservative policies that aren't helpful. Um, so, yeah, I I don't think that the Greens are going to vote against it. I think that they're just making noise. And I think that the noise they're making is dumb. <laughs> like that's that is basically the TLDR.
0: Yeah, I thought the Greens largely fell in line when it came to their the last threat to to go against the uh, the, the the Climate Bill. Uh, but I suspect it will be the same here. Um, Labor might give uh, some you know, largely symbolic concession in some regard, like they did last time. Um, but you know, I, I just yeah, I I don't really see them voting against this again.
1: Yeah. Um, And the last bit of news that has come out of the Greens in the past week, I think that it's been going on for a little bit longer than the past week, but um, is inside the Victorian Greens where there's been a lot of chatter about um, some pretty serious bullying within the party um, from MPs towards staffers um, and just that are inside the Greens party but are not prominent enough. And it's also a little bit translated into the Federal Greens because you've got the um, contentious relationship with certain party members um, that are not prominent MP party members uh, with Lydia Thorpe and in particular Indigenous Elders and Lydia Thorpe. and along with that, there's also been some pretty serious allegations of transphobia within the Vic Greens. It's just a bad, like, tone that the Greens are currently setting that not only that it's even happening, but that they're letting this get out into quite public forums because it's been quite a big talking point on Oz politics, like, TikTok for the past couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, so we've been hearing about this for... Likely around a year now especially from the big greens where the transphobia stuff i know like broke quite a while ago um i, I th- well, if i remember it was, it was dealt with like all right i think most uh most people within the greens were quite displeased about it um issued statements and such i think there was di- some disciplinary action taken as well um so look i i don't want to like lambast land, like, the greens too much for uh, for this, because you know, I don't think it's really representative of uh, of the Greens as a as a broader political party or political movement. Um, yeah, I don't know. That, that, that's that's mainly what I have to say on it. Um, yeah, I, look, I don't think the Greens are any are any more prone to bullying or harassment or, or, or bigotry um, than any other uh, like like party. I would say. Um, yeah.
1: No, and I don't think that. I think it's just another example of the left kind of eating itself um, in that there's always, there is always within the left, like the bullying of you're not leftist enough or you're too far left. You don't have these beliefs. You think that Mao is based, like that kind of shit. It's just leftists are fighting with each other all the time. Like that is its own problem. But I think that when it comes from the Greens who did They didn't shy away from lambasting Labor at the election um, over the alleged bullying within the Labor Party. It comes across as hypocritical for a party that does parade itself to be a little bit sanctimonious at times. Like, I don't think the Liberals care about being perceived as hypocritical. I think the Greens very much do, Um, and that's the difference between, like, Labor's two foes, essentially. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I, I thought, I think. I think when this sort of thing happens within a party, it should be called out. Um, but yeah, I know. Uh, unless it's a real trend within the party, within the broader, uh, the broader sort of uh, party structure and movement, I'm not. I'm not going to like levy any, uh, any uh, super broad accusations or anything. Uh, I think it's disappointing to see this in in the big greens and from the federal greens as well. Um, but I'm yeah, I don't. Yeah, i don't I don't think Green's parties are uh, sort of like this by design or anything.
1: No, I think that it's politics is like basically just a high school cult sometimes, and unfortunately, it affects all parties, but it needs to get paid attention to. The liberals, if anything, get ignored the most when it comes to bullying, to be fair. But that's because we expected of them. Um, we'll we'll stop bullying the Greens uh, and move on to Labor because ugh, there's been some doozy moments from the Labor Party this week. In particular, the fact that the Stage 3 tax cuts, as it seems, are still on. And even if you like would like that cool $1,000 tax cut or if you earn $200,000 a year, $9,000 tax cut, um, it's, it's really not making a whole lot of economic sense to keep going after what happened in Great Britain with the Tories.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a, uh, well, yeah the, the tax cuts have always been a bit of a mess. I don't, I don't know why we were legislating tax cuts like five years in advance, you know. Um, it's, all, it's all a bit silly. Uh, look, look, I think Labor, Labor don't seem to be taking a very strong stance on this at the moment. I understand why it could be seen as, you know, like going back on election promise and being weak and all these things. Uh, but look, I, I don't think like a Labor Party, you know, like a Labor Party uh, should just be uncritically letting like tax cuts for the wealthy like go through. I, I just don't think that, I don't think that should be part of Labor's vision for Australia. Um, and I, I acknowledge, you know, um then there are political real- realities to to, to, to contend with um but even then like yeah there's just like there needs to be something done right there needs to be some way of like maybe like modifying the ca- the, ta- the tax cuts perhaps or um supplementing them with some kind of relief for like low-income people as well just 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 something but it's like not just giving uh yeah giving the highest tax bracket like you know like like all the all this all this money it's, it's just ridiculous
1: yeah, I mean, I think that this is about reading the room as far as global economics is concerned. And stage three tax cuts just aren't going to work um, because they haven't worked in Great Britain. They tanked the pound. It then had a knock-on effect to the euro and the Australian dollar. The only like actual dollar that is performing well at the moment is the US dollar. Um, the Australian dollar is going to crash further if these stage three tax cuts come into effect because it is just like, this is what's happening is those tax cuts from the rich, which the US tried to back off from to the US's credit um, have then caused like, there's the inflation rise. There's this, there's that. So much ends up happening. The dollar crashes, which pisses everybody off because a lot of people shop online nowadays. Um, And the Australian dollar is currently trading at like 64 cents. Um, or like one Australian dollar buys 64 US cents. And you don't want it to get much lower than that. Like it is basically not affordable to buy stuff from the United States currently. Um, Just because dollar for dollar, you are way overpaying for products. And sure, that's great if you want to buy Australian or in Liz Truss's case for England, buy British cheese. (laughs) But at the same time, It's not always realistic and everything else becomes more expensive because so much stuff is still manufactured out of the country. Um, I think additionally, like (laughs) Michael Freelander, Labor MP coming out and saying earning $200,000 a year doesn't make you rich. Um, Pretty fucking ironic. Like I get it. He makes $200,000 a year. So he's defending his own bag basically. But at the same time, Look, it might not make you rich. It makes you comfortable. Um, sixty thousand dollars a year makes you comfortable, or a hell of a lot more comfortable than you were when you were only earning thirty grand a year. Um, it's sure if you don't want to label it as rich, that's fine. But don't look so stupid in thinking that like nine thousand dollars a year in tax cuts isn't crazy high.
0: Yeah, I think there's a bit of an obsession with uh, you know classification, class- classification like what is rich and stuff, you know. And I, I just don't think it's it's particularly helpful. Uh, I don't really care if you're rich or not. I just care about, you know, could the could that money uh, that that uh, you know, that you earn could that uh, could that be uh, far better spent if going into the pocket of like a far poorer person? I think that, that that's the main sort of consideration uh, that there should be. It's not you know whether you're Oh how, how, how rich you are That's, it's a worthless concept um yeah so yeah real real silly from labor um it's, it's really disappointing to hear that from labor especially as well um because like i said labor should be offering some kind of alternative vision here i uh, not not offering all these like justifications for like why they're um you know why why they're just, like, throwing a bunch of money at um quite wealthy people really um yeah, they even if they're not rich as well, like their lifestyle, like they have more in common with uh, you know, like a millionaire than they do with uh with a poor person anyway, because they both live, like you know, got lives of comfort for the most part where uh, where they're largely shielded from the um from the pressures of everyday uh you know, like uh, you know, like financial um financial troubles. Um so you know. Yeah, i quite quite silly from uh, from Freelander there.
1: I think It's one of those situations where it's complicated because I actually think that the smarter thing to do, even though it is the more controversial thing to do, is to raise the tax-free threshold. Um, Because it actually, like, it has a couple of different effects. Um, At least when it comes to raising the tax-free threshold, you could go to the point of $20,000 per year, um, which if you're earning uh, $20,000 per year, you're not going to pay a whole lot of tax. You generally just claim it all back anyway. But at the same time, like, Not having to pay tax is just like another stress taken away. It's great for uni students in particular or people that are in quite insecure work. Um, But at the same time, they then aren't able to claim everything that they can potentially claim. Like when it comes to like uh, disaster payments, if you earn under the tax free threshold and you are in like certain um, like visa categories, You're not eligible just because of that. So at this, there's a give and take. Raising the tax-free threshold in this country could do a lot to help a lot more people. It also will help with the housing crisis if people aren't fucking stressed out about, like, tax and everything and can get a little bit of money kicked back to them at tax time, which is great to get a new bond for a new property. Um, Whereas I think knocking a bunch of tax off of people that realistically are making more money than they're ever going to spend in a year is not particularly, like, helpful for the country. Um, $9,000 is not a, like, it's a lot of money, but it's also not a lot of money at the same time. Like, how many people are actually earning over $200,000 a year in this country? Like, how many people are you helping that aren't just politicians? (laughs) Because the people, like, every single person that's sitting in the House of Representatives Gets like this max rate of this tax cut, um, but you know the average person probably only going to get to save like a hundred, two hundred dollars tops. Um, slightly more high income earners do get to that like two grand point, but even then, it's you've got to earn a fair bit of money to be getting like two grand from these stage three tax cuts.
0: Um. I like taxes. <laughs> um, I, I'm no, a fan of no,
1: taxes, but because,
0: low-income earners yeah. less less need. I would just say I, I'm look. I, I do believe in broad-based t- taxation in the sense that um you know I, I believe the poor and the middle class uh should also be 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 ta- be, pay, be paid tax. So I'm I'm okay with um you know, with the t- with the tax-free threshold largely as it is. I think. Um, because yeah, that, that, that's still, it is just like more money we can put towards expenditure. Um, and, i I, I, I question how much of a pressure tax is for someone who is, uh, like at the, yeah, so sort of like right at, uh, right above that, that tax free threshold, um, where we are, I, I'm, I'm sort of around there, I think income wise. Um, and like, I, yeah, I, I, feel like taxes aren't like a pressure on me at all honest um and like they, they don't really uh make i don't know they, they don't tr- complicate costs of living too much or anything um and like, I, I don't know i think like so i think at that point like paying taxes is like largely okay especially it's you know it does go um yeah i think yeah around half of it goes like welfare and stuff anyway so a lot of it's like sort of feeds back into feeds back into the poor and the unemployed and stuff anyway um so i think uh, yeah i think i'm largely okay i i, I get the i, I do I do get it, but I don't know. I think we like the move should largely be towards more taxation across the board, rather than, um, rather than I don't know, maybe maybe getting too caught up in, um, in like trying to implement a progressive taxation system. Where I think it is just a case of everyone should get taxed more.
1: Well, also more taxes, more welfare. Um, And exactly, like it, like it, like it or not. If you got kids, you're currently actually dipping into the welfare system because. Family tax benefit is a big, like, that's a big cost of, on the tax system. And at the same time, it's important and it's very helpful. Um, And I think that people need to change what their idea of, like, welfare is in this country. Like, I feel like we say this every week, but at the same time, like, the way that people talk about the welfare system in Australia, it's just, like, it's not just job seeker payments. <laughs> like, it's not just our study. Um, And when you get your head wrapped around that, even though people that engage in like family tax benefit and that sort of thing still have to deal with centering, it becomes more like realistic and also... I mean, more taxes means more social housing, hopefully, which that means that we can get to that half a million um, properties that is needed. I jump across to the Vic Liberals uh, because, I mean, do they even actually have a plan to win this election or any policy proposals that is not, hi, we don't have Dan Andrews, he's really bad and we hate him. Like, they're not even vote for us, we're not Labor, it's just vote for us, we don't have Dan Andrews at this point.
0: Uh, well, yes, Jackie. Uh, they do now. <laughs> is that they are offering um, a two-dollar uh, daily cap on public transport within Victoria, uh, which is interesting. Uh, something in the vein of the United Australia Party. I feel sort of just throwing random, kind of vaguely social democratic uh, and progressive policies at the board, like you know, ma- making public transport cheaper or. In the case of the UAP, uh, making uni free, um, not be free, but feeling all debts and such, um, just sort of that throwing stuff at the board. Um, and I guess in, in this case, like I don't know, like, I'm, I'm largely down with it. I think uh, like public transport in Victoria um, is like actually like um, I think it might be the most expensive in Australia, if i have recorded stats. Oh
1: no, right. New South Wales is pretty bad.
0: Is it? Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely up there. Like if we're not the top, then we're like. Yeah, we're definitely sort of within that range, um, and so like yeah, this, this could this could definitely be good in, in that sense, like because you know, I, I know personally, I'm I spend quite a bit of money on on public transport, um, probably like more money than I think I reasonably should as a, as a uni student, considering I. You know, I kind of need to go to uni to contribute to society and 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 all these great things. Um, I don't like having to pay. You know, I guess um, the the cap currently for me is, I believe, like ten dollars a day roundabouts. Um, so if I'm going to uni, like, yeah, <laughs> I,
1: I pay four dollars and twenty cents per day.
0: Really? Yeah, like- I'm on an, I
1: want I so on on concession in Victoria, it's four dollars and twenty cents per day if you're on Mikey money. Um and if you are on like an adult fare, um it should be eight dollars forty.
0: Wait, uh, I, got, okay. I got I gotta I gotta check the way so um and it's cheaper um, on
1: weekends, it's like three dollars. I, I,
0: I, I am on a concession as well. So wait, so what Mikey Daily It is, is it
1: is all about zoning. So if you're in like zone one and two, it should still only be capped at four dollars twenty. Wait, um, okay. But while you Google how much money you should actually be paying for your Mikey and maybe just stop uh, swapping between seven Mikey's like some people do, um, I think that there are good parts to this policy in theory. I think it doesn't work in practice for a variety of reasons. I think that lowering the cost of public transport in Victoria is a good idea and potentially bringing down the adult um, price to what the concession price is currently and then further lowering the concession price is a good idea. This $2 a day cap is just going to make public transport worse. The Vic Liberals already want to make public transport worse. This is going to cause fewer services, services to never run on time um, and also result in a breakdown in the infrastructure. It is not like they are proposing policy that is going to better fund public transport in Victoria. What they are going to do is make it cheaper. But then make it such a pain in the ass that everyone wants to drive and everyone wants to drive on the east west link toll road that they want to build
0: yeah I, yeah i did look it up i i, I oh, oh.
1: <laughs> don't know what uh, you're doing uh, yeah
0: i don't I'm not, I'm not sure if i'm like calculating wrong or something but uh, yeah but you yeah, know um and for a while I was, I was off concession as well so i i yeah, you know, I've been paying full fare um, at periods of my life also, um and that's uh that's probably a bit uh, a, a bit whack to be paying uh to be paying nine dollars twenty a day yeah, going to the city. I uh, even then like four dollars sixty a day to go into the city. Like, it, like even then, that's that's not super great either. I feel like you know that's five bucks. I like, can get like a like a coffee with that. You know, um, <laughs> one coffee. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, a, a small, a small one. Uh, Look, think... if
1: you stop catching public transport and stop buying coffees, you'll be able to buy a house in no time.
0: Exactly. <laughs> the boomers yeah. tell you. Yeah, yeah. So public transport, it'd be expensive in, in Melbourne. I, I, I do agree with you, Jackie. I don't like. I, I'm, I'm, I'm open to this. I, I, w- I would welcome it. But it's also like most, uh, like most policies we saw sort of discussed in this podcast. It's a bit of a band aid, right? the The issues with the big issues with public transport in Victoria aren't necessarily pricing, although pricing is is an issue. It is largely to do with that service provision, where the issue is that we pay all this money and then we don't really get it back in terms of good services. Where there's still large parts of Victoria that are underserviced. Uh, I live I live in the Doncaster area. Uh, we're definitely underserviced. We don't have a train station. We have a you have a shitty park and ride type thing. Um, and that, that, that's just never really worked all that effectively. Um, so, you know, like, and then all, that's not even to mention, you know, uh, we're not like in terms of like timetabling, we're not super great. Uh, regional areas are particularly not great. Um, yeah, the, the free tram zone is a bit of a, bit of a mess, uh, sort of economically speaking there's all these issues with public transport in, in in victoria and making 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 it like $2 like doesn't necessarily fix them and i think i think the thing is like most victorian's would be fine like maybe paying like well, I, i'm not sure if i'd be fine paying these prices but I'd be, I'd be fine paying for public transport like a little bit if i knew that that money would like was like going towards something that was uh, something i could like take pride in as a victorian you know like a, like a good public transport system and instead, instead, my money sort of gets funneled to, uh, to like French, to a French multinational that owns like our <laughs> trams and stuff. Um, and I, I, it's, I, I'm not sure if I really want that. So, um, look, it, it's look, like it's fine, like whatever. Uh, but there's also big issues on the plate here than than pricing as well.
1: Yeah, I don't want to be in a situation where Sydney, like the Sydney's in, where the trains just don't run whenever it rains, like. <laughs> It's one of those things where it's just like cost is annoying. It is an impact in people's lives. A lot of people just fair dodge anyway, so long as you don't catch the train um, and they risk it as to whether they're going to get done by the ticket inspectors. Um, it is not the root problem. People are still going to fare dodge when it's $2 a day. <laughs> like you're not going to suddenly make people have a moral compass. Um, and the important part is really just you've got to be able to fund public transport and funding public transport does come from fares a little bit. Um, it's not the be all and end all, but at the same time, I'd rather it be a little bit more expensive than it should be, which is where it is currently at $4.60 a day or however much it actually is, uh, than like the drivers be on strike all the time because the conditions are so bad because it's not actually enough money to be hiring people
0: yeah exactly pretty much
1: but Um. to stay on Melbourne drama because it was a dramatic little weekend in Melbourne um because on Saturday there were like 18 protests going on at once um we had the there was a Julian Assange protest there was a uh, protests in solidarity with Iran. There was protests regarding uh, abortion rights uh, so a pro uh, choice protest and then a counter protest and then also there was the classic anti Dan Andrews sovereign citizen protest um, and it all came to a little bit of a head uh, mostly in regards to the uh, pro choice protest and the Sorry, and the counter-protest. But because the sovereign citizen, anti-Dan Andrews or whatever, they actually, I don't know what they stand for at this point anymore. Um, that all came to a head between those groups. The pro-choice pro- protest seemed to disperse. And then, you know, the, the usual suspects that are there every week decided to try and break down the doors of big parliament um, in what was joked on Twitter as being like, australia's very own january 6th moment but like aside from them having a drummer it was all pretty pathetic
0: <laughs> yeah we, we, love a, we love a good protest in northern uh, <laughs> normally they don't get this uh, this violent we tend to be a fairly uh a fairly quiet inoffensive bunch for the most part but yeah i suppose these protesters took it to a bit further so uh, yeah the, the, there you go um I, you know, uh, I, I can't really remember the last time something like this happened. Uh, because our protests, like I said, they do tend to be pretty, uh, pretty run the mill. Normally, not much happens. So I wonder, you know, is this setting some kind of precedent? Can we expect this uh, in the future from more severances and protests, or even even protests beyond that? Perhaps I'm not quite sure.
1: I, so supposedly, what happened on Saturday night is blamed on. What has been dubbed on Twitter as the Canberra Cookers, because it's the people from Canberra that came down and decided to get things to be a little bit more interesting than just people marching down Elizabeth Street. Um, but at the same time, I like I'm at this point with it where I'm like, what is the point, like, of going out and protesting every week? You have basically gotten everything you wanted. Um, so the, you could say that the, the most effective protesters in the country. Except for getting rid of Dan Andrews. But also, like, with that, you're not actually protesting anymore. This is a social gathering. This is just a hobby. You're not actually fighting for change. You're just hanging out with your friends and being really fucking obnoxious about it for the rest of the city.
0: (laughs) To be fair, like, uni students have been doing doing that for for, a few decades now. You know, we're all meeting up at the the protests in the CBD. Uh, you yeah, know, probably going to the pub afterwards. <laughs> no, really, I've actually been to a protest in a few years, to be honest. Um, I, I live too far from the city, but um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It probably all goes back to public transport. I, I could be attending <laughs> these protests if we are, uh, if we had public transport. We, we need to be staging protests at uh, Doncaster Doncaster and ride. That's uh, that's that's what I needed the most. <laughs> um, uh, um yeah yeah so um yeah you know um good, good for them like you're getting out of the house a bit um having having a bit of fun uh exercising their democratic rights <laughs> um being, being a bit annoying but you know i'm, I'm glad they're, that they're touching not grass but uh cbd concrete.
1: <laughs> the, t- the tar on the ground yes um i just i think that there is a more mold- not those guys in particular but there is a more um productive way to be getting things done than oh we make some speeches at parliament and then we march down either burke street or collins street and stop at flinders street station um some some of the protests i get because they're more like solidarity protests in particular the ones in regards to iran but also a little bit The um, pro-choice protests are a lot more like solidarity protests to the US, is my understanding. Obviously, that there is a level of expanding abortion rights in Australia and making them better here. But also, it's one of those protests where it's just like, okay, we get it. You don't need to be doing this every month. Um...
0: I I believe the abortion one specifically was to uh, to have a bit of a go at Bernie Finn, who's made some... Uh, Some anti-abortion comments in the past week or so.
1: Yeah. Well, do you want to know how you have a go at it, Bernie? Finn, get him unelected. Like,
0: yeah.
1: Go, go and campaign in his electorate against him. That's actually an effective way to do it. And I think that this is like where my issue is: is the effectiveness of these protests? Because at this point, it does just feel like people are making a whole bunch of noise in the CBD for not a lot of results. Um, And I may have made the joke that the Sovereign Citizen Scouts have gotten what they wanted because we're like reducing pretty much everything entirely when it comes to COVID mandates in this country. At the same time, that's not because of them. (laughs) That's because everyone wants to move on despite the fact that, you know, the sickness is still there and it definitely hasn't moved on, but whatever. Um, And yeah, there's more effective things to do. There's... There's ways to do it as well that don't alienate you from the general public. Um, And I think that that's also where this push and pull is because you can't be afraid to piss people off, but you also need to stop pissing people that are generally on your side off at the same time. And it's getting more towards that point than it is of just, like, pissing off old curmudgeons.
0: Yeah, yeah. But the protests get a bit annoying sometimes. I reckon. Um, the, the, they tend to be quite loud when you're trying to get around and blocking, blocking, blocking trams and everything in particular is quite annoying. Um, but I don't know. Like I said, I'm happy. I'm happy they're they're, they're touching CBD concrete a little bit, having having a yeah, get, get, getting together. Um, yeah, but we're bringing the kids a lot of the time as well, I, I tend to see. Um, so, yeah, you, you know, uh, <laughs> and ha- having their own little, uh, their little gav in the streets. Te-
1: teaching kids about civil disobedience. Uh,
0: exactly, exactly.
1: Uh, but we might move on from Australia and making fun of Melbourne, <laughs> um, the city we both live in, uh, and move on to Ukraine because there's been some big developments in about three days. Um So it started on Saturday. I think it is Saturday, both Ukraine time and Australia time, when uh, the bridge between Crimea and Russia was bombed, resulting in three people dying. And then on Monday, and it seems like it was early Monday morning for Ukraine, um, a number of bombs in Kiev went off. It is expected that several people are dead. There are not official confirmations of the numbers it is a developing situation as we're talking about it but i think if you start at like the bridge between crimea and russia being bombed um that's a big move if it was by the ukrainians i initially when i heard it i thought it was a false flag by the russians i'm not gonna lie um i don't think that russia is above doing something like this to point the finger at ukraine and also piss off people in crimea in particular Because it's the Crimeans in that situation that I do feel bad for. Three people are dead. It's not 100% certain whether they are civilians or military personnel because there were civilian vehicles on the road at the time. Um, And not everyone in Crimea is pro-Russia having annexed them, for starters. Or the fact that now they are having to get involved further in this war between Russia and Ukraine.
0: Yeah, so we've got the, I believe they call it the, uh, the Kerch Bridge or something. Maybe it's like Kirk, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the Kerch Bridge will, will say uh, the link between Russia and the Crimean Peninsula. Um, so it's quite strategically important because it's how Russia gets like most of the uh, their supplies into Crimea. It's been uh, quite vital in maintaining Russian control over that peninsula. Uh, so yeah, obviously if, if you if Ukraine did do the bombing and we don't uh, we don't, still have not confirmed who has done it, um it would make strate- strategic sense although um although perhaps not moral sense because we would not uh, we would not really want civilians to get caught up in that um so yeah yeah not not much to say here um it's a it's a blow to Russia obviously they they're not super pleased about it and they're gonna I think they've already started repairs. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's pretty. It's quite terrible that um that lies, uh, innocent lies were lost in the process as well.
1: Yeah, what I will say is that at least for Americans, it did look really funny for a moment there because it seemed like to them it was on Vladimir Putin's birthday. As far as like Ukraine time is concerned, they didn't time it perfectly. It was the day after his birthday, so I don't get that W on Putin. The only reason why, and I think. It, it's because of what's happened today as to why I think it could possibly have even been the Russians, aside from, like, just not caring about human life, um, as it seems to be with them at the moment, is that they've subsequently just used this as an excuse to bomb a major city, Um, and there has been reports of bombings in other cities as well. So we've seen these things happen in other countries before, um, allegedly, but at the same time... (laughs) This war is getting worse and worse by the week, um, and it's unsurprising that this week, when the G7 meet, they are expected to discuss Ukraine um, and the ongoing war, because it's just it's getting bad from going from bad to worse, and it's about to be winter in these areas. And like you can make jokes about, oh, you don't want to invade like this region during winter. At the same time, people still live in these regions and they're going to be cut off from a lot of um, basic necessities because of this ongoing war in what is expected to be a really cold European winter.
0: Yeah, it's going to be pretty pretty rough. So I hope that the, uh, the G7 can arrange uh, something in that regard and uh, make sure that people are receiving the resources and the supplies that they need to during this, uh, this particularly difficult time. Um and hopefully they can arrange something for uh for Lukashenko and Belarus uh, because he is very worried uh that uh, Belarus will be invaded uh, by Ukraine, um so yeah hopefully we can arrange something there for Lukashenko here uh, he's you know, <laughs> um, not really of course um yeah uh no, obviously not much to this claim um but it'd be quite funny Lukashenko is a pretty like pretty funny guy for the most part um also a dictator. Um, but one of those dictators with like a good a good like meme potential to him, you know?
1: Yeah, um, he's a dictator all... that lost an election and then still yeah. got to maintain power.
0: Um, exactly. Yeah. He, he's just a, he's a good man. He's a... <laughs> um, yeah. I mean,
1: he's look, his son carries around a golden gun. You honestly look up the pictures, it's really funny. Um, but the like, oh, we're worried about Ukraine invading Belarus, like come on, man. <laughs> No one thinks that that's actually happening unless it's like mercenaries that aren't actually Ukrainians doing it. Um, I cannot see that happening. Ukraine is too busy defending Ukrainian territory. So unless Belarus has annexed a Ukrainian territory and not told anyone, uh, I don't think Belarusian territory is getting uh, invaded anytime soon by Ukraine.
0: Yeah, yeah a, bit, a, a bit silly there. But um, maybe a country that should be worried about getting invaded, but not really, um, is Japan, because North Korea has been testing uh, testing nuclear missiles above uh, Japanese airspace, uh, and also um, sort of across other areas as well. Um, as a as and they they I believe they have been quite clear in this as as a warning, um, as a warning against South Korea and the United States and its various allies, uh, to say that they they are willing to deploy the nuclear option if necessary. Uh, which is certainly worrying. And they have recently implemented legislation that gives them uh first strike capability. Uh which is, you know, a bit a bit funny there, sort of the government giving itself the ability to uh you know, to to do what it wants. Um a real a real sort of rubber stamp there, I think. Um, but yeah, obviously uh concerning. Um and I would argue it's probably been driven by a lot of what we've seen within Ukraine as well, where it seems that the nuclear option is uh, you know, because Putin has been, I sort of tossed it around a little bit. Uh, it's really turned it into a reality for, um, for, not just Ukraine, but also for, for North Korea. It seems, uh, and it is uh, deeply concerning um, because I uh, would be sure I, I would not be surprised if we if we do get to a point where like nuclear missiles do become, um, you know, like like an option in uh, within within warfare, and that is not really a future we should uh, we should yeah, we we want to see for uh, unfold.
1: Yeah, I I don't think that this is a threat towards Japan in particular. I think Japan gets caught up in it because Japan is relatively close and they're shooting it into the ocean. I think that this is much more of a threat to US territory that is in the region um, as well as South Korea, obviously. Um, South Korea is a dicey one to hit because there's obviously going to be blowback effects on North Korea just in regards to radiation and that kind of thing. Um, and also I don't, I don't think China is going to be that keen on North Korea launching a nuke um, that actually is on the continent. And China deals does still have some sway over um, North Korea. At the same time, there's US territories in the Pacific um, that I don't think that they'd be above hitting, not to mention Alaska's not that far away. Like if they're going to try and bomb like US mainland-ish US Alaska's probably the first one they'd target. Um, it is still a while away, but an attack on US soil is an attack on US soil, um, and it would cause intervention by the US. You'd hope not the nuclear option, but once one hits side fires nukes, it's always been that everyone else is going to start firing nukes, apparently.
0: Yeah, uh, I think there's cause to, to, yeah, to concern here. Um, I don't I don't think we should... Uh, you know, I don't think we should be super worried necessarily. It, it is, it is worrying, but um, I think it's still a bit of a wait and see thing, where um, like North Korea does have have the legal and the and the nuclear capability to uh to to, to deploy the nuclear option now if they need to. Um, but also like yeah they're, they're not going to do something that could lead to them getting like bombed off the face of the earth either. So it, it is a it is a real way and see a situation where um, they're probably just yeah seeing how far they can push things before um, before there's some real retaliation.
1: Yeah, and like uh, same with China not being too keen to see North Korea drop a bubble on South Korea just because it's on the continent. I can't imagine that China isn't gonna still tell North Korea to, like, and its leadership to pull its head in a little bit because China will automatically get dragged into it. Whether China was influencing North Korea or not, we all, we all know that there's going to be people that blame China. And also, I think that a little bit the realism comes is that even if North Korea isn't the first one to go because the first thing happens in Europe if it happened, um, I, once it's fair game, it's fair game. Um, It doesn't have to have been a direct attack. Once it starts getting used, countries with the capability, if they see a reason to use it, can use it. Um, And North Korea feels personally slighted by a lot of stuff. So maybe they'll do it over something huge. Maybe they'll do it over something tiny. Who knows? Um, I think it's a long way off. I just think it's still potentially an option eventually, which should be a cause for concern. And moving on to gaffes of the week, uh, we got a sport one starting off because uh, the SNN Football Club learned a very valuable lesson this week uh, called vet your new CEO before you hire them and announce it to the world because uh, when they decided to give the top job, oh, my God, sorry, Uh, When they decided to give the top job to Andrew Thorburn, uh, they they seem to not realize that he is on the board and I think even is the chairman of a widely known homophobic and anti-abortion church. Um, And also on top of that, uh, was the CEO of the National Bank of Australia in a time that was like record bad um, and resulted in a Royal Commission being held over the banks for the bank. Um, Ultimately, he did resign within a day, um, resign or forced out. I mean, I'd love to have been a fly on the wall in that room. But it's just embarrassing from both the Essendon Football Club and also the AFL, who probably would have been tipped off of this appointment prior to that no one found out about like the fact that these are his views and this is a church that he endorses which is just inherently incompatible with what the league and what Essendon as a club is trying to promote on the like national stage.
0: Yeah I think the only time I really learn it just I think sport wise when it pops up in this podcast but i i did um i did i did hear about this yeah um and i was like oh that uh this is a bit dumb uh, i'm not really sure how that how that how that really happened um yeah i mean hiring this guy um and immediately uh yeah 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 kick it in the boot um yeah you gotta really wonder what happened there and well i don't yeah i feel like there surely these people aren't, aren't like stupid like, they they they're aware of who this guy is and like what um, and the things he's done, I assume they must just, like, not have cared or, like, maybe, like, the people higher up just, like, weren't informed of something. Uh, but, like, this is the sort of thing you can find on, like, Wikipedia page, I think. Like, so, like, there's been just, like, a clear deficit in either morals or research here. Um, and I, I just... Uh, what's going on, you know?
1: Yeah, I want to be charitable and say it was research, which doesn't sound very charitable when it's like a multi-million dollar football organization um, not doing its research or due diligence. Um, Because they probably just saw, oh, experience the CEO on the resume and that sort of thing. But like, I think that also the problem that's come out of this is everyone jumping to his defense um, from the conservative factions of Australian politics. Because Peter Dutton obviously weighed in and said that they should just reappoint him. Um, Meanwhile, Dan Andrews has been vilified for saying that while he's not cancelling his Essendon membership because that's the club he supports, he thinks he thought at the time that Thorburn should step down. Um, And I mean, regardless of what your views are politically or religiously if your views, um, your religious views are completely incompatible with the organization that you are trying to join, you shouldn't be working for that organization. Like that alone is why he shouldn't have joined. Like it is currently AFL pride or AFLW pride round. You're going to tell me that he endorses that because I sure as hell don't think he does. Like if you're a chairman of a church, a Pentecostal church that has those beliefs, you're not. You're not. Believe. You're not going to say that this should be something that's happening. Um, and it's a really disappointing move from Essendon to have appointed him in the first place. Um, just as it's disappointing for the AFL to have not flagged it. Um, and said, "Yo, don't do this." I get that the club has gone through an embarrassing couple of weeks. At the same time, this is the most embarrassing thing that's happened to them all year, and there's been some plenty of. Bar- of there's been some plenty of embarrassing things
0: yeah but if i'm hearing about like your embarrassment in, in sports then you really you've really <laughs> gone, gone wrong somewhere um so i should not be hearing about that. <laughs> i i'm not in those circles um yeah
1: but our second gaffe of the week comes from the art sector. So don't worry, Joel, you know a little bit more about this one. There we go. Because Extinction Rebellion protesters uh, have done what's happened in Europe a couple of times. Uh, but they've moved, they've moved it to Melbourne and the NGV by gluing themselves to a Picasso. Um, and not it's not gluing themselves to the frame like what was happening in Europe. They actually glued themselves to the painting, um, which... I, I, if you want to get your message out there, sure. Great move. Genius move. Um, At the same time, it's again just you're pissing people off. And the art sector, at least portions of the art sector, are siding with you on what you're pushing for. But they don't want you to destroy or ruin priceless uh, artifacts that have come to Melbourne because we want to keep getting good Art and like painting, sculptures, that sort of thing, um, rather than more cause exhibits because no one likes them.
0: Yeah, I, I guess to be fair, the protesters are. Uh, no damage was done to the painting. Um, yeah. I think I, I believe I read that. So you know, credit there and everything. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, some of these, I, I, some of these extinction rebellion tactics. You know, I, I get it. Um, but yeah, this is another one where I'm also a bit, uh, I don't know, like maybe, but also, uh, <laughs> uh cause like, like I do want, uh, I do want Melbourne to be, you know, a place that is, uh, welcoming to the arts and everything. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. And I, this, this sort of complex for that, but I suppose at the same time, like art, um, this is a piece of political art from from Picasso as well. It's a depiction of the Korean War, I believe. Um, and uh, so, like, I don't think like, uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy with it being, uh, sort of treated as a political arena, I suppose, as this as this political product rather than like a a depoliticized uh, painting on a wall. So it's kind of cool to say being used in that way. Uh, so I'm I'm a bit conflicted here. I don't really have any strong views. Um, I, I think there's um, there's an interesting element through uh, through how this how this art piece is being deployed by extinction Rebellion. but you know i also I also want like painting I don't, I, don't want, <laughs> I want people worrying about like paintings being like damaged and stuff if they they get sent to Melbourne either.
1: yeah i'd I'd much rather them they be blah, blah, blah. I would much rather them be doing something like this than walking out onto an f1 track. Um, wall of racism like the, it's apples and oranges as far as like the kinds of like risks that they're taking yes it would be unfortunate for art to stop coming to Melbourne because of a couple of people um at the same time I'd rather that than people die um quite a horrific deaths. and I think that what's been done in Europe with these protests in art galleries has been quite clever because it's not been more so the gluing themselves to the painting but gluing themselves to the frames or painting the floor in front of a painting um it is great for getting headlines and bringing attention to what they want it's again though you've you've got to bring people to your side and i do worry that extinction rebellion is failing in that regard regardless though it is great PR people know who Extinction Rebellion are they don't know who a lot of these other protesting groups are yeah but we'll move on to please explain um and our first one it's got like it feels like it has five facets to it it's just it's Kanye West (laughs) um because I think he's got a lot to explain for in the past couple of weeks um At Paris Fashion Week, he decided to go out and have models go out with White Lives Matter painted on the back of um, jackets. Uh, With that, he was also parading Candace Owens around. Um, And look, I get that Kanye is a provocateur um, and also has some serious mental health problems that are not being um, adequately addressed because he's surrounded by yes men. At the same time, there's got to be someone around Kanye that is able to tell him that he's a puppet because that's what he is at this point. Like, this whole, like, buddying up with Candace Owens, going on Tucker Carlson, like, all of this stuff, you're just a puppet at this point. You're not even, like, actually really getting away with your own views. Everyone's just validating you and telling you that these new views are great. Um like what is it actually doing <laughs> other than making people that have loved and adored you for years go hey Kanye is actually a bit of a dickhead isn't he
0: yeah I mean i I am like somewhat of a, of a Kanye west but I, a fan of his music at least um I'm not sure if I'd say I'm like a committed fan but I, I I appreciate albums like you know like like his, his debut um and like my dark beautiful twisted fantasy and all these things. I think, I think I might have gone the adjective order. I think that might my, my beautiful doctor of not fancy. Uh, yeah, I quite <laughs> like these. I, I quite appreciate them. Um, but yeah, it's always come with the caveat of, of uh, Kanye. Uh, Kanye that, that doesn't uh, behave uh, super well in public. Uh, and th- this is uh, just the, the real cherry on top, right? This is um, this isn't just uh any, like this isn't just like disorderly um, mm-hmm. or inappropriate conduct. This is just uh, yeah, th- this is. Uh, lending, uh, lending fuel to some really serious and uh, really seriously horrible um, political positions, which is um, you know something that should really give uh, should really give Kanye and the people around him and like pretty much everyone just like pause. Um, and I think it's a, it's a sign of um, you know of like of, of how far he, he's he's probably fallen like emotionally um where you know stuff like interrupting um interrupting taylor swift's award at the I and stuff, software this is like great behavior um it's very pr- provocative and everything but it's not um you know it's not like on, on this level where it, it's clear that um I, it feels sort of clear to me that this isn't just for the attention like there's something sort of deeper going on here um that um that, uh, that that's probably prompting this. Uh, I I'm reminded of like David Bowie during his like Thin White Duke era where he was uh, he was so like uh, coked up and like so mentally ill that he was you know, like, praising Hitler and stuff. And, and we're, we're getting something in, in, in a similar vein here with Kanye. Um, so hopefully he uh, hopefully just gets the help he needs um, because he's, he's just clearly not getting it right now. Um, and hopefully, um, you know, hopefully he, he goes through some kind of reformation uh, and, and eventually renounces these beliefs and sort of goes back to just uh, making, like, good music.
1: Good music, good clothes. I, Pete Davidson put it best where it's, like, get back on the meds um we all liked the Kanye that was on meds um and I think that the thing is, is that it like from uh, Paris Fashion Week it was um it has escalated because he then on Instagram went on a rant um and leaked DMs between him and uh, P Diddy saying that Diddy's controlled by the Jews and that sort of thing and then got banned on Instagram obviously <laughs> And then subsequently went on a weird rant on Twitter where he said that black people are the original Jews or something. And it's just like, it it's one of those things where it is deeply, deeply anti-Semitic and it kind of does draw comparisons to Bowie um, and other artists in their fall from grace. But also at the same time, like the only people that are talking about this on social media in particular seem to be Jewish people. There's a lot of people calling it out, but the people that are like, yo, this specific thing is really anti-Semitic and you're, you're just letting him get away with it. Um, it seems like he's also been suspended from Twitter. I can't quite tell though, because can't he just delete stuff and then he's back? Like Twitter's policy is so bad because if you just delete something, they let you back um and you know maybe maybe give him a three-day ban or something like that like just take the someone's got to take the phone off him realistically because he was doing weird stuff on instagram this year as well um and that was a lot more menacing and threatening personally to kim kardashian and the family but when he's calling like her and kris jenner like the kkk and then starts with like genuine nazi talking points like it's really fucking bad and really dangerous that like people still stand him.
0: Yeah. Look, <laughs> yeah. The, 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 the yay fans, uh, the, there's no, there's no damp, uh, dampening that, uh, that, that love, <laughs> I think, um, you know, <laughs> um, mm. where it's all, it's all, yeah, it's all gonna be, um, yeah, the, the all, but just an artistic statement to them, you know, um, uh, when, uh, I don't, I think this is beyond the realm of artistic statement. This is just, um, this is just like kind of like delusion at this point, like like mentally ill 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 delusions. Um, Yeah, so so there's nothing much to say except just I hope he gets better.
1: Yeah, no, and I agree. Um, I just, I miss the old Kanye. I'm not going to sing the song, but (laughs) that's how it starts. Um, Our last item for Please Explain tonight is the Go Woke, Go Broke crowd, Um, because in response to the election in Italy, they seem to have decided that wokeism and left-wing politics is the reason why, like, right-wing fascists are getting into governments, Um, to which I would say, It's not actually a turn against uh, the left and woke social beliefs. And it's actually quite clearly a turn globally against populism. Um, You can see that with Trump losing the election. That is probably the start of the turn against populism. But the last election in Italy was a populist party getting in and then they've turned quite widely against the populist party. We're seeing the turn against it with Boris Johnson and now his trust in the UK. We definitely saw it in Brazil because Lula dominated the first part of the um, Brazilian presidential election and now is like 1.5% away from becoming president once again. Um, and you can also say that you saw it in Australia where we've gone back to a traditionally centre-left party and away from a party that was creeping into like a populist mindset, especially with how Scott Morrison wanted to run things. Um and I think that it's just a fundamental lacking of understanding of what's actually happening in global politics. Because I think that genuine conservatives can win right now, um, and fascism is not populism. Really, it's um, kind of just like ultra right wing conservatism that sprinkles in notes of like social welfare.
0: Uh, I, I don't know. I would I would say fascism is uh, is, is quite populist in the sense. Uh, I suppose you could have forms of fascism that, that were not populist. They're not, um, that are, It's not a, uh, that not overlap completely or anything, but I would say there, there is, yeah, it, it's a bit of a Venn diagram where you could certainly have, um, that, that, and I would certainly say that throughout history, that most, most forms of fascism we've seen have, uh, have been populist, um, because they not, they do normally rely on that populist distinction, uh, between like a, you know, like a, an oppressed, um, and oppressed people under uh, and some kind of oppression oppressor, you know, and, and yeah, not normally like, uh, in the case of like Hitler, you'd have like, um, the, the, the German, uh, the German Volk, uh, being oppressed by the Jew, um, well, in the case of Mussolini it was more of a as more of a sort of uh, civil nationalist sort of project so it was more like uh the Italian um, against the rest of europe um and, and these sorts of things um so I think we like we do definitely see like elements of populism w- w- within fascism and, and also to be fair like the brothers of Italy are certainly a right-wing populist party so that's sort of, it's sure. more
1: of the- I don't actually see them as right-wing populist i think that they are taking some populist ideas like um getting rid of the eu like eu skepticism and that sort of thing there's populist ideas in there but a lot of it comes down to traditional conservatism and traditional italy there is a lot of playing on old catholic beliefs that seems to be going on here um the thing is is that there is a little bit of a framing and I think when I talk about populism, I am more referring to big tent populism, um, especially within Italy, because Five Star is a big tent populist party that doesn't actually believe in anything. They, they're they Eurosceptics um, and EU Skeptics, but at the same time, they formed a right-wing government, they formed a left-wing government. They were interested in being in power. Um, they weren't actually interested in holding true to their beliefs. I think that the Brothers of Italy are a very dangerous party. They are definitely neo-fascists. Um, at the same time, what they are preying on within the Italian population is conservatism rather than populism.
0: Well I would argue it's a conservative uh, a conservatism driven by populism in the sense that it's the, it's the defense of the, of this traditional national culture of Italy um against forces that would encroach upon it that would threaten it in some way such as the eu uh, such as immigrants such as um yeah you know, so sort of like western progressive politics and all these things which are they, these are framed as um as threats to the um to the i guess like the populist in group of the um the the hard-working uh traditionalist italian uh like man normally i guess because it is the brothers of Italy. Um, so I mean like, I I would I would certainly like consider it a populist party for, for the most part. It's a different brand of populism to uh you know to um to five star of course, but um but still uh, like, I still think there's there's reason to 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 label it populist. Although I would agree there is you know generally a um a turn against populism globally. Um although even like, in even in Russia currently, like we can see um what I would consider like populist like backlash against um against western progressive politics in the same way we we would see in um in in italy where i think they released an ad recently or something that was uh happy oh it's a movie yeah Yeah, a movie or something like that you know i didn't really i I didn't look into it too much but um that was really criticizing um i think like trans trans rights issues within the west or something
1: just just america in general how bad it is to move to america because hey, the woman sitting in front of you on the plane is gay and the people behind you are vegetarian and are going to stop you from eating your really crappy meat dish.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's me. Sorry,
1: it's a, it's a weird ad. Um, Russia is a weird case in general, like, just to talk about populism because obviously there is a deeply authoritarian government um, and most of their elections are fake. I think that everyone recognises that at this point. Um, So I think that... Russia's a hard country to talk about because the second biggest party is still the the Communist Party in Russia. Um, And the biggest party, according to votes, is Putin, um, which is deeply conservative and deeply controlling. And it's hard to get a temperature on what the actual population in Russia believes um, beyond what their media tells them to believe. Because we have a general idea of what the Russian media says. um, they basically advertise their war plans on TV, it seems like sometimes. Um, but at the same time, is, is that the Russian population, like majority of it, or is it um, the population that is the most inside the in-group, I guess?
0: Um...
1: It's, it's a hard, like, I don't think that there is actually an answer <laughs> to yeah, what, yeah, what goes I on in it's... Russia. It's, yeah. a, it's a huge country, not only, like, population-wise, but obviously the geographic size of it. Um, What goes on in Moscow is not going to be the same thing that what goes on in the more Asian-centric parts of Russia. But I just, I think that this idea that, like, left-wing politics and in particular social left-wing politics is what is, like, going to cause you to lose all your money. Like, because that's the way they frame it. I just think the go-work-go-break crowd is so stupid because it's, like... Mm, I don't like this. So that means that if you like it, you must be poor. <laughs> like there's just like weird high school bullying aspects to it as well where I'm like, I don't think you really understand what's going on in global politics. But also at the same time, I think that I I just, I feel like they're really disingenuous, a lot of them. It feels like this is more of a clout chase thing where people just want to get likes, tweets, get famous on TikTok. Um. The person that actually runs the Go Work, Go Broke crowd on TikTok now has a Sky News gig. So that's where it's like kind of ballooned as a hashtag in Australia. But yeah, it's dumb and meaningless. And also at the same time, like, I mean, if you want money, it's not going to be by not having good social programs or good government programs because all the really rich companies and all the really rich people love themselves a government grant. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, I, I'm. I, mean, I didn't, from what I understand, go work, go broke is normally directed at like, uh, like media, media products and such and such. From for what I believe, that like movies and video games and stuff. Um, and uh, you know, normally, normally the the claim being that. Um, if you incorporate some kind of uh, socially progressive elements then um, then the media product will be unsuccessful uh, which doesn't just empirically speaking doesn't seem to be all that true I suppose so I don't know I think it's 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 largely a case of that confirmation bias where uh, pointing at some something and saying it wasn't as successful as as it should have been or whatever um, and then saying that this this proves the the thesis and well, no, probably probably not.
1: Oh, it's also like, it's a little bit, it's like libs of TikTok kind of shit where it's like, oh, look at people being hysterical um, or what you view as hysterical, but then having a hysterical reaction to something like it, it's one of those things where it, it's just ends up being a feedback loop. And this comes across as a really centrist position, which annoys me that I'm saying this, but like you are what you are like saying other people are. At this point like you're not actually coming across as reasonable except within your own echo chamber it is just as hysterical as the person that's yelling about the fact that they got called sir or ma'am um and that is not their assigned gender and in a way that person's actually asking for people to just be respectful to them you're saying i hate everyone and no one deserves any respect but we might come to the end of the episode for tonight. Um, so, Joel, would you like to share your social media handle?
0: Yeah, sure. Uh, Joel W. Duggan on and
1: Twitter. You can find me- Oh, sorry. I'll let you say that again.
0: <laughs> oh, uh, Joel W. Duggan on Twitter and only Twitter, really. I guess on, on Linktree as well if you want, but mainly Twitter.
1: <laughs> you can find me at dodzy161 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. <laughs> This has been Edge of the Election and you can find us at Edge Election Pod on Twitter in, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Edge of the Election is part of the Edge of the Crowd network. You can find us at Edge of the Crowd on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn, not Linktree, um, but pretty much everywhere else. And you can read any of our stories, be they politics, sport or culture at www.edgeofthecrowd.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.